The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player or situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Good morning, Matt Waldman. We're heading into week nine. Week eight is in the books, and what a week it was. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, a lot of quarterbacks, you know, fascinating stuff with quarterbacks. We had a great matchup, I thought, in San Francisco um, with the Bengals where we saw really two good quarterbacks play, though I know a lot of 49ers fans don't feel that way. A lot of a lot of uh, X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, uh, get really worked up about Brock Purdy. See, we told you he sucked. Okay, yeah. whatever. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't. Just before we get started in here, uh, how much? How old are you? How much of this do you think is is uh, is uh, you know how how big of a factor is not having all the pieces? Is Debo Samuel, you know, missing to this offense? I mean, I think that there's certainly an element of that when you don't have Debo Samuel, it's kind of like Joe Burrow not having a healthy T. Higgins, you know. Right. So there's certainly that element to it, what he can do in the run game, what he can do after the catch. Um, the, you know, maybe he's not a true primary guy, but he's certainly a great number two so, yeah, that has a factor. Another factor is that Brock Purdy has 14 starts in his career. Right. Okay. So, so, we'll so let me let, 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 no, let's get to this right now. Brock Purdy, are we feeling him as the long-term answer for the San Francisco 49ers quarterback position? I wasn't sure last year. I'm a lot sure this year that the answer is going to be yes. Um, watching that game, people are going, oh, well, he threw two interceptions in that game. Okay, well, you watch the box score. If you actually watch the game, Brock Purdy made probably six to eight throws that if Justin Herbert made them, people would be basically fawning all over Justin Herbert or any of the quarterbacks who have big arms. The The way that he sees the field, the way that he understands how to move in the pocket, and to be able to create on the move or to create within the pocket is high level. This is he's becoming a high level player. The the difference between him and some of the other high level players is that he lacks a great arm. But the way he sees and anticipates, he's going to be here for a while. And I think that people are going to have to figure out that you know, it's the hardest thing to figure out is that guys can see you know, media can see displays of arm strength what, and, and mobility. What they don't see all the time when they're making their hot takes is actually understanding how a player reads coverage. And Brock Purdy does that great. Even after, you know, the one interception he threw that was in the red area to Jermaine Pratt, it, you know, it was, a, it was a, a shovel pass that didn't work out right, so then he had to keep the ball and roll out. And Pratt just came from underneath in trail position, basically from out of <clears throat> um, Purdy's periphery to intercept the ball. And then he throws interception on the very next play, which was just a great manipulation by Logan Wilson, who's one of the best interceptors among linebackers in the game today. But after that, and it was a bad two-play sequence for sure. That cost him the game. 
But at the same time, Purdy battles back, has a 75-yard drive, and makes some plays on that that were absolutely <clears throat> fantastic. He had some brilliant throws in this game. So, you know, process-wise, you look at his game, and he's a top-12 quarterback in this league. TLDR version, you feeling this, um, especially as long as Kyle Shanahan's the coach there. I mean, again, I don't want to over overstate the case, but this is his dream quarterback, someone who plays his system and runs his system the way he would run it. Could he play quarterback? I think. I mean, I think you see that uh, that's been his desire all along, and it's why he, you know, he's pursued players like maybe you know we heard about the Mac Jones interests or you know the uh, the the Kirk Cousins interests over time, things like that. You know, so uh, I'm feeling this as well. Are we feeling Joe Burrow back to being Joe Burrow? And I guess you know we can highlight that. Uh, by noting he completed 28 of 32 passes in this game, uh, 283 yards, three touchdowns. It was a very good game, 134 quarterback rating. Yeah, 19 consecutive passes completed in a row in the first half. Um, And more importantly, how he moved in the pocket. They, um, he did, he had a sequence where he um, delivered a ball that he had basically he basically did the hokey pokey in the pocket in terms of the way that he was moving around in there and buying a lot of time. But more importantly, they started featuring him in the drop back game under center, which they didn't do with the calf injury. And when he did have to run, there was a two, two high two man um, concept that the defense played that opens the middle of the field. Burrow immediately did what he could to weave through the pocket so that he could get into the open field and gain, I think, 18 on the play. Um, and you could see if there was any issue with the calf, he wouldn't have done any of what I just mentioned there. He's ready to roll. Yeah, you know, kind of think of Tom Brady as being the phone booth uh, mobility guy. Um, I'll go ahead and you know make him make Joe Burrow the the waiting pool mobility guy. He's got he's got a little more. Right, he can he can operate in a little more space, uh, and and it looked good to me as well. So I feel this as well. I want to just set you up for something. We'll go back to last Thursday uh, because I've agreed with you all year long on this, and I've cited you on multiple cases as saying if you drafted Dalton Kincaid this year, you drafted him for the second half of the season. Uh, I'm going to ask it like this: Are you feeling the breakout is imminent? But really, I feel like the breakout's fucking happening. Yeah, it happened, and and I think that. It happened before our eyes in this game because – go ahead. I, I thought maybe two weeks ago we st- we saw the, the hint, right? Yes. I thought we saw the first sign of it, but I, I agree with you. Feeling, yeah. Totally feeling this was, the, this was it. Yeah, the hints were certainly there. But it was kind of like hints like hint, hint, Josh Allen. Hey, this guy's open a lot. Hint, hint. Over the past six, four to six games – Every time he gets the ball, he does something good with it, even if it's in a short yardage situation. Hint, this guy can actually win in the intermediate and vertical games if you give him an opportunity. And when you watch this game on Thursday night, what you saw was Josh Allen discovering that, oh, when I when I misread a play or I read a situation and I have to break the pocket, this guy's working open for me. I, maybe I should target him. Oh, you know what? I can make trust throws to this guy at the boundary. It, it It's translating from practice. You saw plays like that in the game 
against the Buccaneers where he did it just it wasn't just I'm a short yardage dump off auction substitute for the running game it was more of a like let's run the out oh and now he's actually working up the sun line on a scramble drill let me throw the back shoulder to him and let him win over the top of somebody those types of plays <clears throat> I think we're starting to see Josh Allen get the memo that this guy may be a better version of what he does with Gabriel Davis and can do more with him. And so I'm expecting Kincaid to equal or exceed Gabriel Davis's um, role in, in this offense as the number two guy and often a number one primary look um, down the stretch here. I think he's going to have one of the biggest months um, of any tight end um, in football um, from this point forward. Well, hell, I feel it if you're saying it. I'm I'm all in for it. Look, where I've, I've got in, this is something we need to do as fantasy managers is understand, you know, how the momentum of a season works. And I'm dealing with that with Jameer Gibbs, of course, um, but other players as well. There are players you draft, you just, you should not have expectations for immediately. And if you do have immediate expectations, you probably shouldn't have drafted them, especially if you have short rosters or you need to churn players constantly and you don't have room to hold on to people and let them Such develop. great so, advice. That, and so many right. people forget that. Right. There, there are leagues where you don't have that, you know, that luxury, right? There are short bench leagues where you're just not going to be able to hold on to guys. And maybe you want to be a proactive and aggressive and get grab guys a couple weeks early. You know, I've done that a little bit with Keaton Mitchell. and But, but you can only do it in places where you have the room to roster a player you think might have a chance to emerge at some point. So, and Dalton Kincaid was one of those guys for me. Kyle Pitts was not one of those guys. He continues to be somebody we draft as a primary asset at his position. Uh, my colleague on Sirius, Jeff Manns, uh, will get in a big-ass argument with you uh, and tell you Kyle Pitts is not really a tight end. He's a wide receiver, and we should view him more like that. doesn't really matter what positions he's playing. Uh, is a breakout here? I think it's going to – it may not be right now, but I think it is imminent because Taylor Heineke ended up getting the second-half um, snaps, and I don't think that's going to change. Um, maybe Smith goes back to the well one more time and says, hey, you know, it was a bad game for for Ritter. We're going to give him one more shot. He needed to sit for a half. But I I honestly think that it, it won't matter whether it's th this week, next week, um, or, you know, two weeks from now. Heineke is going to end up finishing the season as the starter. He's going to perform better overall, and I think he's going to make more trust plays to Pitts in ways that we didn't see with Ritter. And Heineke's a little bit, Heineke is much better off structure. He takes more risks, and but at the same time, he's willing to take certain risks that with Drake London and Kyle Pitts, you can afford to do. Those guys have wide catch radiuses, big frames. You should try and play above the rim quarterbacking with those guys. Right, and so you know they have—they've they, not yet confirmed. They did not do us an Arizona Cardinal solid and say who the starter is next week. Uh, Arthur Smith kind of you know threw out the mystery card of he's being evaluated for concussion, he being uh, Ritter, and so we'll see how that plays out. Drake London got a little nicked up in that game too, so that's something yeah. to watch uh, going forward. A little bit of a groin issue, his questionable return, and then did not. Um, like I don't know, you know. I think Kyle Pitts has been like a a train wreck breakout, right? I mean, the talent's <laughs> there. We can see it. The scheme has not been quite on point for him. The quarterbacks have not been ideal for him. He's still a young man. What is he, 22 still? 
I mean, he's going to have a long, very successful career, whether it's fantasy viable this year or not. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I think he's not someone I invest in because I think he's too pricey and I just don't know what the hell he is yet. Yep. Um, and so, so, uh, you know, I think the talent in the end will win out. He will, you know, whether it's in Atlanta or somewhere else, he will move past the Arthur Smith era. Uh, with the Falcons and extend beyond that. And perhaps the next uh, offensive genius that's hired to run that program uh, will actually have uh, more of a plan for him. But Bob, I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if the, you know, tight end such a shallow position that you're probably playing the talent. I don't know that the breakout's imminent. I look at the target share, the, the targets and they, you know, he's had a couple, you know, double digit target games this year or, or an 11 and a nine. Everything else has been middle of the pack. So, I'm not enthusiastic. I'm not saying fuck it, but I'm not really enthusiastic. Yeah. I feel I, bad for the man. Look, I haven't, I haven't, I have no sh- shares of Kyle Pitts because I had no confidence in Desmond Ritter. I have some confidence in um, Taylor Heineke. Right. And we'll see and if so, that's how it plays out. So, yeah. So now I'm interested in the idea of like, okay, if someone makes the right offer where I can get him in part of a package deal and I'll take the shot on Kyle Pitts, I'm more open to that now. That's the best so, way to put it. In Arizona, going into yesterday's game, Zach Ertz had gone on to injured reserve, and going into the game, he had 27 catches Ertz before he went on IR for 169 yards and a touchdown. Trey McBride had 15 catches for 170 yards going into the season. I like that. I like that uh, that per catch average a little bit more than I like Zach Ertz's. Um, uh, solid game yesterday. Had the touchdown. Uh, breakout imminent for one Trey McBride. Um, I think it, I would say if you consider a breakout low end tight end one, then yes, I think that he's going to do that. Does he have even more upside to that successful in dynasty? Absolutely. Um, where he is right now, it can be encapsulated in one play that he had. It was an over out on third down with Kyle Hamilton covering and Josh Dobbs throws it high. He initially gets his hands on it with perfect attack, but can't retract it and drops the ball just as Hamilton tackles him. And he's really mad at himself. So so I'll put it to you this way. I've seen enough Trey McBride to know why he's really mad at himself because he made those plays a lot at Colorado State. And he expects himself to make those plays. So once he begins making those plays, he's a top five tight end. Right now, he's not, and I don't think his quarterback aids the situation. So you're probably looking at low and tight end one as far as the, the the maximum ceiling of his value this year. Yeah, if you had not heard, Josh Dobbs will be the starter this week uh, again. And, uh, and Jonathan Gannon was very vague as to whether Kyle Murray will be back or ever feel week 10 ever. against the Falcons. Ever. ever. We'll see. We'll see. It was very, very vague. Very vague. Uh, so uh, there's a player I really want to get to because I know you have strong opinions on him. Uh, I think the entire fantasy community has strong opinions on him after yesterday's performance against the tough Atlanta uh, defense, tough Atlanta pass defense at least. Will Levis, superstar. Bananas. <laughs> Mayonnaise. I don't know. Mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, my dog he barked with bananas. I feel like I'm uh, my, our friend uh, Tara Roberts from many, many outlets, if you follow her out there on the uh, social media. Had, uh, had said she would do a cup of coffee with mayonnaise and video it if he threw another touchdown. And sure enough, he threw another touchdown. So yeah, uh, be looking for that video on the, the social medias here shortly. Will Levis in the short term. All right. Are you feeling him? I am feeling him short term. 
Um, and when we say great, good Atlanta defense, pass defense, we say statistically because yes. uh, because he's faced Bryce Young in his first week. He's faced Jordan Love in Jordan Love's second week. They faced C.J. Stroud, another rookie, Sam Howell, and Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah, there's that Lawrence guy and Goff who they limited each to one touchdown. So I could say they're pretty good, but I think they're a little bit of a paper champion in the past defense arena. And I and I would say, watching this game, I think Atlanta was a little um, arrogant in their way of facing Will Levis, thinking, this rookie, we're going to play one high safety looks, we're going to blitz him and rattle him. And to Will Levis's credit, he was aggressive against the blitz, and he did a great job of being able to and so did the Titans being able to draw up some plays that matched up DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one -on -one against a safety and a linebacker. And then when he did get the, the 1A quarterback or cornerback in, um, in Terrell, A.J. Terrell, he basically pulled a wrestling heel tactic to put, the, put him in a headlock just in front of the ref. And then as knowing the ref's angle, being able to rip the shoulder pad and turn him completely outside and not get called for it. It was the most masterful um, version of rule breaking you'll see all season from a wide receiver, which he's usually got at least four of the top five on the list. As And he's a Hall of Fame player, if you ask me, but still, yeah. So you look at this with Levis. He was He made some really good throws in the vertical game, and that's always been his strength. So short term, I like that he's got a vertical guy in Burks, a vertical guy in Hopkins. He's going to be able to make plays that way. He's mobile. He's willing to, willing to hang on there. So short term, meaning the next two to three games, um, I like the idea of Will Levis to be able to be aggressive downfield as defenses are figuring out what he does well and what he doesn't do well. Long term. Not feeling. Fuck it right now okay <laughs> fuck it until evidence otherwise because watching him in this game what you didn't see were low trajectory throws to the boundary and into the middle of the field and when you watched his footwork one of the things that i noticed he's still doing this little idiosyncratic thing that he had at kentucky that leads to inaccurate throws and he was there was a throw that he made to DeAndre Hopkins that was a terrific catch that was just emblematic of what Will Levis does, which is he doesn't have his footwork together. It, when defenses start playing different coverages and stop doing the we're gonna beat you with the blitz, um, you know, because they wanted to rattle him and see if they could get him out of there. Instead. You know, the, the way to beat Will Levis is basically rush four, confuse him, and then make him make um, throws in tight windows in the middle of the field. Basically do what we saw Brock Purdy succeed at in, in this game, other than those two <clears throat> bad plays that were really the difference in the game. If they do what if they do what the Bengals did to um, defense, do what the Bengals did to Brock Purdy or even Joe Burrow, um, Will Levis is going to, that tower is going to crumble. So he had a really good start. We'll see if he can build on it, but <clears> he, I need him to prove it before I believe in it. Right. I, like I was super happy, which I had some tournament lineups with uh, Levis and uh, it's just, uh, here's my reminder people. 
set a totally contrarian lineup always when you play tournaments i always do mine was different this week uh you know but i thought about like a, a titans pass heavy you know investing heavily in the titan passing offense for that very reason man because when you hit it nobody else is there and you it's take a, home a little money yeah and rookie quarterbacks coming out of well known who are well right. known are a good our first start are good players to consider because defenses don't know what they're facing right and they play exactly. they either play too aggressive with a um with the blitz packages or they're totally conservative and get picked apart um, right and <clears throat> and they don't know the mix but uh yeah i would say i would say in dynasty remember marcus mariota and the great game that he had i'll remember it because if any if if you're that dude on YouTube who used to rail at me because I didn't like Marcus Mariota for the long term after his first game against Tampa, um, just I'm just I gave you. up that burner account. I don't do that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Jordan Love, long term. <laughs> like so, I want to say you know, looking at Jordan Love, I, I felt like early in the season when everyone was uh, enthusiastic about him, I kept saying the same thing. I think he, you know, I think he's probably better than the worst case scenario, and maybe not as good as he appeared because the, you know, the the touchdowns were there. The completion percentage was not. Uh, but I feel like, Matt, this has been the plan. They have a bunch of young receivers. They have a young quarterback. They told us, we're building this over the long term. This was their goal. And I think having a, you know, some struggles at times in the early going of this is what you would expect. How do you feel about uh, Jordan Love long term? Listen, I'm a girl dad, okay? So I know a few things about waiting guys out. So... You, you you have the you have you know you have the daughter's you, you know boyfriend or or date come over to the house and hang out a little bit and they're on their best behavior and Jordan Love early in the season was on his best behavior he wasn't doing any of that crazy crap that he did at Utah State um, you know where he's kicking his feet up and making wild across the body throws and trying to do things where you're screaming no 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 and then occasionally get a yes out of it. Um, you got to wait them out a little bit because you got to see if they get comfortable and see if they get a little too comfortable at your house. And that's when, you know, that that's when you have the conversation that you need to have. So, you know, usually it doesn't take very long. And I'd say Jordan Love is looking, he's in that situation right now where he's getting more comfortable and he's starting to look a little bit like Utah State um, Jordan Love in some bad ways. Um, but getting some half-decent results, but not enough. So we'll see if that comfort level is him either, you know, kind of integrating what he's learned as a pro with what made him very athletic and, and compelling as a college player, or whether it's he's just getting too comfortable on um, on on dad's couch and, and dad's about to tell him that he needs to go home. You know, so he's he's in that little area. I'd I'd say right now, where with this team and the strength of the players on it, I'm still going to say I'm feeling them. It's just a little immaturity, but I but think, I'm ready for the cleaver to come out. I feel like this is another case where if all the pieces were intact, and by all the pieces I mean Aaron Jones was playing at full speed, it might make up a little bit of a difference for him uh, over the course of the season. We saw it early in the year, week one, when there was a healthy Aaron Jones. Things look pretty good, I, you know. I don't want to overstate the case of when not all the pieces are on hand because, I mean, other players rise up and, and fill voids. But yeah. but Aaron Jones is one of the biggest playmakers in this offense, if not the biggest playmaker, all due respect to Christian Watson. 
and 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 it's been it's been an issue not having him. Uh, but but another player on this uh, team, Jaden Reed, is he the best wide receiver on the Packers? Most people would say no, but I think in about I think in another eight to ten weeks we're going to be saying yeah, he might very well be. Um, watching there was a play that he didn't make. But the effort that he made to nearly win the ball on a back shoulder fade where he pinned the ball and won it basically off the back of the Vikings defender. These are the types of plays I've seen him make on a regular basis that you're not going to see Romeo Dubs make. Romeo Dubs has gotten to the point where he's as good as Jaden Reed in that department. And then I I would argue that Jaden Reed's more versatile than the other two guys. Um, I have a feeling that Jaden Reed's going to end up by at least the this point next year, we're going to be talking about him as clearly the best receiver out of those three. I've made note of this. In the meantime, I'm crying a little bit. My wife the tears from my eyes because I'm pondering the situation for poor Jordan Addison and Justin well, Jefferson. That's yeah, for sure. But I, I I think I have a new I think I have a new burner account for you. You can have you know Jaden Reed sucks. You know type of thing you know for next oh, i have many burner accounts okay. don't think i don't already have one of those okay. i lied when i said i got rid of them uh addison and jefferson the greatest tragedy of a wide receiver duo in the nfl now playing with who yeah jaron hall byu a russell hey, BYU wilson aspirational guy <laughs> they do uh, Zach Wilson, Steve not Young. Standing. Steve Young. Zach, like, Steve Young. I'm going back. Steve yeah. Young. Uh, uh, Mark Herman. Jim McMahon. Ty Detmer. Yeah. There we go. I like Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon, Steve Young. We could have just ended it right there, pretty yeah, much. Okay. So, what do we do with these two receivers? Um, well, I'm going to study this guy a little bit more. Um, but based on what I've seen, you know, he fits well in theory because he's a good play action quarterback. Um, he certainly understands how to put a ball up for a player to win it. He did that well with Puka Nakua, who he played um, performed well with. Um, I think there's something there with his game. I just don't know if it's going to manifest um, quick enough this year for you, you to get maximum value out of your players. So I would expect, I think, um, I think you're going to see a lot more short passing, and I and it, we'll probably we'll probably see a lot more of the RPOs and a lot more of the screens. Um, but I would say that you're looking at more of a Jordan Love-esque type of offense right now than what than what you saw with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> so yeah, your your best bet might be Addison because of what he does after the catch. Yeah, we don't know if Jefferson's going to be back. Honestly, and, I yeah. mean, or when exactly when these yeah. should get imaged when the four weeks is up. And they already have laid out there that it could be a couple more weeks after that. And now that there's not a quarterback yeah. situation, perhaps the was... notion that he didn't get a contract extension before the season becomes more of a factor. And and do they even yeah. want to force him back? If they don't have any chances of winning. Is it in their best interest? So there are yeah. pieces to suss I, out I, here. It's though. a it's a fuck it for Jaron Hall. Um, and it may be a fuck it for this offense, but I'd say Osborne is kind of a Puka Nakua aspirational type of player. Um, though I would have probably said it was like they were even coming out of school um, in terms of, or like Puka coming out before what he did. I would have said, well, you know, if he could play like, you know, KJ Osborne, that might work out pretty good. Like they're stylistically similar type of guys, but Puka's shown <clears throat> that he's more than that. But I think you're going to see a good rapport with Addison. You're going to see good rapport with Osborne. 
we'll see if he can make the big time plays with Hawkinson. Um, but it's a, it's one of those scenarios where you're going to have to drop the value of most of those guys. And it's just mm. a shame because man, Kirk cousins with those two guys, if they could have been together at the end of the year with what we've seen, you know, it's like the Vikings were like put training wheels on Addison this at the beginning of the year. And when they took him off, you could tell it was like Addison going, you know, you could have, you could have taken them off. Like, in right. May. <laughs> you can put a fine point on it. If you're a fantasy manager, ripping, gripping, you're still playing, you know, TJ Hawkinson. I don't know that you have a ton of better options out there, or even, yeah. you know, crappy players with good quarterbacks, a great player with an unknown commodity, a quarterback, possibly crappy, um, <laughs> might still uh, serve you better than some of your other uh, prospects. And I feel the same about Jordan Addison. I don't know how I feel about the Giants offense. Brian Dable feeling or fucking his offense. Is it is it Brian Dable or is it just not having pieces? It's I think it's both, um, to be honest. But um but I would say that Dable is a is a bit of a I, I think he's an instigator and a bit of a you know, a hot headed guy and there's nothing wrong with that if if you're managing well and you've got the pieces. But I I think that he's kind of gasoline on a fire at this point. So I would say I would say that his He's going to get next year. Uh, this year is going to be like the mulligan, which which is great because previous Giants coaches have not gotten beyond a year or two, right? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. So. I think he may get beyond it, but I don't know. It depends on how they view this quarterback situation and and what's going Dan, on here. Daniel Jones will be back this week. He was cleared this morning before we began this podcast, or actually, he was cleared. I guess Sunday, shortly after the game, uh, fortuitous timing with a. Uh, no, uh, with Tyron Taylor sitting in a hospital somewhere with an unspecified rib injury, and Tommy DeVito. Tommy uh, DeVito, yes, I okay. watched that dude. Let me just tell you, uh, uh, he loved him some Saquon Barkley in a panic. I'll just say that. That's, I'm fine all with that. All he saw was two six. Feeling all that. Yeah. Um, Saquon Barkley went thirty eight carries. What was it? I have to look. It was something ridiculous. I think he, I thought he had thirty eight pass attempts targeted his uh, way, but maybe that was, was only it, the the three plays it, I saw. It was Buku, whatever it was. Saquon Barkley, thirty six carries, one hundred twenty eight yards. The targets going his way were only five. Oh, I must have seen all five because they all <laughs> happened. <laughs> Tommy DeVito in the game. <laughs> um, okay. so so like I'm not gonna be told like they've had issues on the offensive line. They need to find you know that alpha wide receiver. Maybe they have him. Maybe it's someone who you know. I mean, Wandale Robinson was coming. I don't think he's the alpha, but you know they need to do some things at some positions. Yeah, the alpha wide receiver they're counting on. Uh, their tight end. Uh, Darren Waller has not been, you know, on point. He was missed half more than half of this game with a hamstring issue. And, so. and you have oh. nobody else. So it's like, right. it was like the idea was like, well, we're going to show, we're going to show that part of, I'll say this, the Giants brass, fuck them for getting Kenny Galladay and signing them to a big contract Correct. and thinking you're going to get something put them great. behind the eight ball. And then you kind of well, got Maybe a, they've learned a lesson from that and they're not getting anyone else ever. That's it. Because then, and then you kind of feel Dable for saying, I got to make an example out of Kadarius Tony him and Galladay, but nobody stepped up in the manner that he was hoping and they didn't add anybody of value uh, that that is going to be consistent in the week to week because, well, Jalen Hyatt is a great deep threat, but you're not asking, they were not even asking him to do anything more than that. So we don't know whether he's there or not. Mm -hmm. So you spend an early pick on a one-dimensional receiver, at least in how you're using him. This, this doesn't look good. Uh, just going to the other side of the football, uh, I guess, I, how do I want to frame this? Uh, Zach Wilson 
Do you feel him improving? Or like me, do you feel he may have hit his ceiling? <laughs> Bob, I don't think I don't think you're anywhere near your ceiling yet. But uh but uh but Zach Wilson, I think I think Zach Wilson has shown that there's a little bit of a higher ceiling than, you know, than people wanting to just completely demolish the building. Um, he's kind of cleared his head out of the rubble and there's actually some air there for him to, to be able to, to maybe look around a little bit and call for the, you know, call for the emergency crew to come take him out of this building. But, you know, that said, he's, you know, I think he still has a shot to be like a quarterback too in a flex league at some point in his career. Um, and we're, but it's now it's a, um, Fuck that. Let me fix this for you, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Garrett Wilson, 13 targets, seven catches, 100 yards. Reese Hall, nine targets, six catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Al Lazard, if you had to, six targets. I mean, he can fuel the fantasy fortunes of the pieces around him to the degree we want. That's all I need from this young man. I'm not hoping for anything from him. And if I get something from him, uh, bully for me. Um, Thank but you. In, in general. I appreciate it. In general, uh, I think, you know, Garrett Wilson is the piece I'm interested in. And if you can keep the offense on schedule and help Reese Hall, uh, more power to him as well. That's, I think that's feeling that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck him for fantasy. I agree. I agree. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was trying to else. be nice. I mean, I have not, never been nice about Zach Wilson. <laughs> You're never nice. Rashad White, is he improving or was he just taking advantage of the same defense everybody takes advantage of in Buffalo? Um, I think he's improving from what I've seen within his control. You're seeing him attack creases and tight creases with more confidence. And this is something that he didn't do well at Arizona state. You would watch him and he would be really tentative at the point of attack and try and bounce things outside or not take on the defender. And there were multiple runs in this game and in previous games that I've seen where when he was faced with that decision, he dropped the pads and worked hard to get through those defenders, often breaking tackles and getting into the secondary um, to get eight or nine yard gains. And we know he's a good pass receiver with um, really underrated acceleration. So I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Rashad White. I'm now, he's now officially a player I'm interested in having um, acquiring for teams in the future if I can get him cheap enough. He's not. A priority but he's someone that now i'm open to if someone goes let me dangle this guy in front of you i'm like okay well, i'll give it a shot i've been open to playing him as a volume play if he improves fantastic the volume is still going to be there no one else is cutting into his workload i cannot see that jalen waddle there i did it i did it jalen waddle wide receiver one field or fuck it i long term i'm feeling it and i think we're probably going to see more of it as teams have to figure out a way to keep Tyreek Hill from earning 2,200 yards as a receiver this year, because that's what he's on track for, at least heading into this it. game. So, um, I, yeah, I think that the pendulum is going to swing the other way, and suddenly you're going to see Jalen Waddle weeks um, with this offense. CeeDee Lamb, a wide receiver one for your fantasy purposes, which he has not been up to this point. You've been playing him like that, but he fucking ain't done it. I benched him this week um, on fortuitously. Um, for Kendrick Bourne, of all people, I do have Ayuk and A.J. Brown and Adam Thielen on that team. So it's not like I, I ceremonial benching. Yeah, cry me a river, fire. you know, for that one. I still won that week. But I would say that, you know, that said, 
I don't know why. I, I love CeeDee Lamb, and he's an old-school player. I just think that maybe this team is taking a little bit longer to adjust, um, mainly because Mike McCarthy's offense, maybe they need some adjustments. Maybe they have to have some private meetings away from Mike McCarthy to say, okay, <laughs> when he calls this, this is what we're going to do. Okay. When I, I'm, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, no, I just think that this team's going to get a little bit more into a rhythm. And I think they know that Lamb is the guy that they're going to have to make the focal point of this offense. I had an interesting discussion with Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News yesterday. Uh, and just some of the things he said without actually just coming out and saying it is that it's possible Mike McCarthy is not making the best use of all his talent. I believe what? was the upshoot. I believe that was the upshoot. Some of this was, uh, Tony Pollard related and some interesting metrics that he brought up, but, uh, but I'm with you, CeeDee Lamb. I, I felt like, you know, I had a lot of questions last week on the radio about CeeDee Lamb or a series of players. And uh, I think, you know, when you're playing CeeDee Lamb, if you played him this week, you're probably playing only his name. You got the numbers this week, and that's great. But be careful of that. Playing the name is not always the best thing when yeah. the numbers don't don't back it. Bryce Young, improving. Yeah, he's absolutely improving. You know, the 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 vertical game looked good yesterday even if his receivers didn't come down with the ball um he looked like he's getting a lot more comfortable with attacking the field and understanding what he can and can't do and of all the quarterbacks in this class that came, that were entering um that were going to be playing immediately young out of the three was the one that was going to have to calibrate what he does athletically with what defenses can do against him to stop him and that was going to take a little bit more time because he's a he balances that line between on and off structure type of work um, masterfully at Alabama, but he's not, you know, Anthony Richardson who basically can run over people or run around people no matter what level of football it is. And he's not the, you know, and he's not just squarely a on structure guy like CJ Stroud mostly is. So, you know, his game relies a lot on that off structure work, but without the athletic ability of of Richardson and that's why you know it's taken him a little bit longer to to get it rolling right. dynasty perspective feeling of totally uh redraft perspective Fuck don't it. play that guy yeah uh Geno Smith though uh, we'll wrap it up with this Geno Smith is, is is this a real rebound that we saw or is it just a just a giving us something to give us false hopes <laughs> I'm going to say we're going to see a slight rebound. I mean, enough that you're still considering him as a bi-week guy uh, or you're going to start considering him as a bi-week guy towards the end here and maybe start to give you some starter opportunities. Um, he's the one that's taken responsibility for not playing well. Um, and when you look at what this offense is capable of doing and what and they got one of their tackles back, I, I think we're going to see a rebound from him. I, I will say I'm feeling it. All right. I like. I feel like he is what he is. You know exactly what you said. A quarterback too. That if you need to play him any given week, he's got some good weapons around him, and hopefully they come through and drag him along with them. There you go, Geno Smith. There you go, Matt Waldman. Week uh, eight go, is Bob in the books. Harris. Week nine is upcoming. We will be back next week to feel or fuck things. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>